It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We are continuing in our study of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Last week, we deviated just a bit to talk about some of the pressing issues going on in our culture today, but we're back on track, and we're continuing in this vein of thought. It's a wonderful study as we examine the literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, and certainly as we examine the landscape today, this is where our eyes need to be set upon. As we look over across the horizon and we see the coming of the Lord is inevitable, and it seems to be fast approaching, we, the bride of Christ, need to be ready for the return of our King. We have been looking for this eagerly. It could be years away. Certainly, certain days feel like it could be tomorrow. We need to be prepared as though we are going to see him today. And that's always our heart in this, is that we are a, a an eager people of the Lord, seeking his return and actively serving him faithfully every single day. And so we're thrilled that you're tuning in to Engage in Truth as we examine this very wonderful subject of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. If you have missed our prior studies on this, please go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. So as we look at the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, to help me do this, you know him, you love him. He's added so much to our study, and I'm so glad that he's back in the studio today. Dr. Steve Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. It's great to be back. This is such a terrific topic, and as we were talking before the show, you have so many great things to share with us today and in future broadcasts. Mm -hmm. And as you did, I would just encourage anyone who has missed our other Millennium episodes to uh, review those. How we got here, we did discuss basically kind of starting the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the right. tribulation, that sort of thing, and what happens to Satan and, and you know, with the, with the Millennium and, and his uh, involvement with that. And so today we basically arrived to the point where we want to know what happens to the believers. We've reached this thousand-year period of time. What happens to the believers during this thousand-year period of time? <laughs> and this is exciting, really, to look at it. As you indicated, Satan is bound at this point. We spent a great deal of time talking about right. that, how he has to be bound up. And yet, despite being bound up, there are individuals who will still give in to sin uh, during this particular time. So there will be a mix of people groups on the face of the earth, whatever the number of those folks will be after Armageddon, after the this great battle against the Lord there that culminates in Jerusalem across the Jezreel Valley, 200-mile battlefield from point to point of the land of Israel today. And it seems like all the rage of the nations as they come against the Lord and culminates in great victory for Jesus Christ and we can all say amen to that. We look yeah. forward to that point. But as we now examine what happens to your question, there there are believers who are probably wondering as they're listening to this, please help me understand what my role is. And I can't wait over the next few weeks as we yes, really examine what happens during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, uh, how we worship him how we live and serve and, and the agrarian type culture that seems to be represented there and, and how we even feed off of the nourishment of what's given to us and it provides health to our vessels, perhaps longevity of life like what happened even before the flood. Uh, we're going to get in all of that, and I just can't wait to examine that closer. But let's uh, just examine here Revelation chapter 20, 
verses 4 to 6, as we really take a look closer here, what happens to the believers, listen to these powerful words. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Oh, I love that section of scripture. In verse 4, John sees a group and, this, and all we're told is they. They're sitting on thrones, but he doesn't bother to tell us who they are. <laughs> so fortunately, we can put the pieces together and, and really bring this puzzle together. Uh, and John informs us here in verse 4 that the martyred tribulation saints will be resurrected and will reign with Christ. That's very comforting to those who have gone before us even who have been martyred for their faith. We certainly don't look forward to that concept at all. I don't know if there's any believer who's been looking forward to giving their life for the Lord, but the willingness certainly should be in all of us, and we know that we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit should we ever face such a thing, just as Stephen was empowered by the Holy Spirit in in the midst of, of that moment where he was confronted with graduating from this flesh into his new body. Right. And there was wonderful joy that overwhelmed him in such a, a moment of time. So these saints are, are the only group that seem to be expressly mentioned in this context. And and so in Revelation 6, 9 to 11, uh, we're told that we're clothed in white. These martyred saints, they're clothed in white, but told to be patient. So God leaves no stone unturned and their service and patience is rewarded here with pu- public commendation. I mean, here they're, they're highlighted for the fact that they have given their lives to the Lord. And that happens frequently throughout Scripture. I mean, Christ especially cherishes those who become martyrs for his sake. We're told in Psalm 116, 15, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Right. Well, that seems to go counter to our way of thinking, right? We don't think that we should celebrate death, but yet the Lord seems to really highlight that is something of great commendation to even know the sufferings of our king and to be willing to sacrifice any treasures in this world to be so fixated and focused on his will that we would even give up our own flesh and our preservation of this life as we would you know strive to just preserve our lives and 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 hold on to everything because that's our natural reaction of this fleshly vessel and to be able to to focus so on his will to be done that nothing else would matter. Of course, that should be commendable. I, that, that is a great victory. So, the, the, in fact, when we look at the topic of martyred Christians, even just in the book of Revelation, we can at least see seven different occurrences of this great victory. I mean, from Revelation 6 and 13, 14, 17, 19, and 20, often they're highlighted as something of great commendation. So, I don't know, when I examine that, I don't know that physically, mentally, I can prepare for the idea of even being beheaded for Jesus Christ. I don't think any of us can. I don't think you could spend enough time and mental preparation to overcome the fear of something like that. But we know that the Holy Spirit has empowered throughout the generations men and women to serve faithfully, even for Peter, for example, to be crucified upside down. 
Uh, stories tell us that he even had to encourage his wife, who was executed before him, before he was executed upside down. And yet there seems to be great joy that's that just is highlighted in that. If you go to the Fox's Book of Martyrs and the stories from Josephus and other stories of these uh, patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, there's something supernatural that happens in this sacrifice. So the, really the one who receives the credit is God himself. Amen. That he's empowered these weak vessels to exemplify such courage yeah. under great trial and adversity. So we can be assured that God does that even for us, no matter what that adversity looks like. So are the tribulation martyrs the only ones who reign? That's the right. one, that's right. one of the questions that might come out of this, because if you read that text, it seems like, well, they're really the ones commended. Right. What about everybody else? Yeah, what about <laughs> us? I mean, I, you know, I really want to serve the Lord faithfully throughout my life, and I would love to reign with him and part of see all of this, right? So let's just highlight that for just a moment and bring some clarity to that issue. I believe that those who are on the thrones here represent all faithful believers who will rule and reign with Christ. Why? Because he promised it. And he promised, in fact, to the overcomers wonderful rewards of their faithfulness, according to Revelation chapter 2.26 and 3.21. And all who are found in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, according to Revelation 17.8. And you'll notice that John didn't highlight the fact that these were the 24 elders on their thrones, and they've already been highlighted in six different chapters of the book of Revelation. So it seemed fitting that they would be addressed specifically if they were the throne. So we're already seeing the 24 elders. We're now seeing these martyred servants of the Most High God. But if you go back even to Daniel chapter 7, for example, let me just highlight a few verses in Daniel chapter 7. I love this section. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place. Thrones, plural. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. You hear that? But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. The Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him." And then in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus told his disciples that they will sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You can even see Luke twenty two thirty for that. So you have different groups, and they're all sort of encompassed into these promises of the Lord. So it's not just tribulation saints. It's not just the 24 elders, because what about the 12 disciples who become the apostles? They also right. were promised thrones. And here we just read Daniel 7 and all the thrones that are given to the faithful saints of Almighty God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul tells faithful believers that they will reign with Christ. Hey, you can go to Romans 8, 17 on that. So these truths also are confirmed in the book of Revelation. 
I've already alluded to it, but Revelation 2, 26 to 28, he who overcomes and keeps Christ's deeds until the end will be given authority to rule over the nations. You go to Revelation 5, 10, believers will be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Reigning with Christ is linked with this reward. So, What I love to just kind of bring it together in this is now we have this beautiful image of immortals with mortals. And I'm not talking about Greek mythology here. I'm not about the real deal. Ever since God created the earth, there have been immortal beings with mortal beings. We forget that. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we are told that we don't know if we're showing hospitality to strangers because we don't even know if they're angels, right? And we don't know if we're showing this, I should say, we don't know if they're angels that we're showing hospitality to. (laughs) Let me word it that way. We may know if we're showing hospitality to strangers, but we don't know if they're angelic, right? right? So if we're faithfully serving and showing hospitality to all, we don't know if it's angelic, we don't know if it's human. Either way, we're to be obedient. And and we see that these immortal beings have, have been with humans doing his bidding, doing his work, and now we get to be added to that equation, which is pretty awesome. Our reward as a faithful bride of Christ, as saints of the Most High, is that we have the privilege of joining the ranks of the immortals, while mortals still dwell on the earth. We'll get to that, I know, a bit here later, but if we look at Ezekiel 44, we see that that is the equation that is drawn out here, that there are still human beings alive on the earth Cities will be delegated, authorities given, thrones given to the faithful saints of the Most High God, and they will bring people to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. These faithful saints are are promised that the second death has no power over them, according to Revelation 20, verse 6. That is the great reward indeed. Yeah, that is awesome. You know, that's it's interesting, the second death, because it brings us into the subject of different resurrections. There's, we know there's a first resurrection. Right. So what is this second death? What is the first death, the second death, and and is there a second resurrection? Right. Yeah. I, I know there's some confusion on all yeah. of that, right? I mean, just the way it's worded sometimes can give us, uh, I, I don't know, maybe our mind can play jumping jacks uh, with all the thoughts that run through That's it. Right. So it, it brings some clarity on this. I mean, John further explains the chronology of the events in, in verse five of chapter 20. And he writes, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection to your point. He says the rest of the dead. Now that that refers to the wicked who are physically dead that God will raise at the end of the millennium. How do we know that? Well, we would have to skip to verse 12 of Revelation chapter 20. And this second resurrection will be to judgment. John chapter 5 verses 28 to 29 specifically highlights that. And this is further developed in verses 11 to 15 of Revelation 20. So John here, who's the pen who's capturing the revelation of Jesus Christ, he mentions the first resurrection in verse 5 here. And it refers to the first of the two resurrections that John spoke of in context of verses 4 to 6 and 12. It includes the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs at the second coming of Christ from verse 4 and other believers who are resurrected at the same time. And that includes the Old Testament saints. And we get that from Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, John 5, 28, and 1 Corinthians 15, 23. So you have to take all these other scriptures into context then, and we see that the this first resurrection encompasses 
all of these believers. Finally, the bride of Christ united together, the tribes of Israel restored, according to Romans chapter 11, all beautiful now together, going off to the wedding feast with the Lamb. Now, there's confusion, so let's just further highlight, maybe give some clarity to this so we can, uh, you know, remove any confusion on this matter. Uh, We are told that the Lord Jesus gathered together all of the saints in Revelation 17, 14 and Revelation 19, 8 to return with him on white horses. I love that. Yeah. I, I'm not much of a horse rider, but apparently I need to learn how, or, <laughs> we will be. or I'm going to be prepared for it, right? Uh, Jude 14 to 15 also highlight that. We're called together by the angels. Okay, so Matthew 24, 29 to 31, we're told that all the saints are in heaven. They're gathered from one end of heaven to the other to return with the Lord Jesus. So we read of a multitude in heaven already praising him in Revelation 7, 9 to 17. And there was this reaping of the earth of the 144,000 evangelists and their harvest in Revelation 14, 1 to 5 and verses 14 to 16. That's back when we talked a little bit about the possibility of a reaping that may occur before the seven-year tribulation and a reaping that would occur as a result of this great harvest that comes in of new believers from the 144,000 that have gone out to restore the tribes of Israel, and all of them now accept the Messiah. They understand the truth. There's a harvest that comes in from them. You now have the resurrection of the saints of those who have gone before us and those martyred during the tribulation all together with these harpasoed saints, raptured saints. It's a beautiful image. So the only believers that were remaining on the earth were those who would most likely become martyrs, perhaps right at the end of that seven-year period through the bold judgments before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 14, 13 says they will become martyrs for the Lord, and they all have to be resurrected together those with the harpasoed saints, to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb, which takes place in Revelation 19, 7 to 8, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, Matthew 22, Luke 14, and Matthew 8. Don't miss that. That's a celebration. That's a time of great excitement. We've been looking forward to that, the bride of Christ together with the groom. And so why state it as the first resurrection? I'm going to ask myself the own question right there, right? <laughs> I mean, they, we know the believers might uh, who are listening to this might have that. Why state it as a first resurrection? And I believe this is written to outline the resurrection process and to further clarify that there are indeed two separate resurrections, the first being the united believers. I mean, everybody from Genesis 1.27 to Revelation 19, all together, finally, wow. the wedding feast with Amazing. the Lamb followed by the second resurrection that will include mortal believers and those who those who follow Christ during his thousand-year reign, right? Because there are all these people are left that are, will, will be leading immortals with mortals, and all these mortals will talk about how long they live, how they worship Jesus. Many will make a decision for Christ, right, right. but they most likely will still die. They're immortal flesh. They will still die at the end. And then you have all the unbelievers, of course, that are resurrected as well. So there'll be those who do not follow Christ. And we see a massive number of people turn against Jesus at the end of the thousand year reign, right? So they will be destroyed by God the Father. And we see all that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. So during the second resurrection, there will be a resurrection of all men who did not believe from the time of Cain all the way through the millennial reign. With the first resurrection, we have the fulfilled promises of God 
that we will have a new body, one that is immortal, with which to serve the Lord during his reign and beyond into the new heavens and the new earth. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 4, and Revelation 2. But in John, well, John references in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, he says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There is such great blessing and joy in our salvation. I mean, the second death has no power over us. The second death is that separation from God into the lake of fire, as Revelation 19, 20, and 21, 8 talk about. So instead of experiencing this fate, we reign as kings and priests for a thousand years, which was told to us by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And then we enjoy the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity thereafter. That's the great excitement that awaits the believer. And I know that we'll probably have to bunny trail into this next week. I just I know we're not going to be able to cover it today, but I really do want to look a little closer at, at how all of that works because we do this well. We're kind of, we kind of, while we're talking about, it, we're going to have to deviate a little bit and just talk about how the beam of seed of Christ works at, at the time about when the wedding feast of the Lamb occurs, and how the Lord will evaluate His faithful servants. It's not about salvation at that point. They're they're already known to be the saved believers of the Lord who are going to the wedding feast of the Lamb, but they still must stand before the King and receive their rewards for what was done in service to the king. Uh, We see a lot of parables to that effect. And then later, there's the great white throne judgment for the unbelievers. And and we'll see that the book of Eregah, the the book of life, and so forth are are revealed there, as the Lord has even tracked every single word that men will speak. I mean, that's that's a very intimidating thought in and of itself. But we're probably going to have to evaluate that, I think, a little bit closer probably next week. But let me just highlight one more thing, Dr. Ford. I just got to add this and whatever final thoughts you would like to add to. I know you're probably reeling to jump in here on this, but this weekend we're talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. And you see a wonderful image there with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets that are affirming the, the deity, the lordship of Jesus. It was all pointed to him all along. The law pointed to the Lord. The feasts all pointed to his first and second coming. And then you have the, the prophet of prophets showing this is the one whom it all pointed to. And they're caught up in his train of glory. And Jesus is the centerpiece of it all, revealing the light that just illuminates from him, from his inner beauty coming out right. for all to see. And in this, you have this amazing imagery of Moses, who was a saint who died. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that the Lord himself buried Moses, and no one knows the exact location of his uh, of his grave site, but the Lord buried him. We know there's contention over his body, the archangel Michael and, and, and Satan and Jude that highlights that. Uh, but it, we know that he died, and Elijah taken up in a chariot of fire. Right. And so what a beautiful imagery of showing the gathering of the saints, where you have those who have died in faithful service to the Lord, and, and are resurrected, and those who never tasted death, but are there with the Lord as well. And finally, all together unified to praise Jesus Christ. I, I love that imagery. And maybe that's some of that speculation, but certainly you can't help but notice sure. that as you yeah. see that transfiguration. And, and so when you re- read about this, of the thousand-year reign of the Lord with believers who are now receiving immortality, according to 1 Corinthians 15, new bodies that will never fail us to worship him faithfully forever and ever in. 
it just gives me such hope in the midst of the landscape today. I, I know it does for you as well. <clears throat> it does, totally. Just the idea to live and reign with Jesus Christ, it's enough just to think about being in his presence, to be able to reign with Jesus yeah. and, uh, and to spend time with him during that thousand-year period of time, and then, of course, to spend time with him through eternity. It's just something we can't get our minds around. Yeah, but I think this is a wonderful discussion. We have so many great things coming up in the next show. So I just want to make sure that people stay tuned for next week because this has been really great and we've got a lot more coming. That's right. And I know you'll be encouraged. Maybe if you're encouraged with just the clarity, but I certainly hope that whatever you're going through today, that you are encouraged to keep your eyes on the prize. Amen. Don't deviate. Don't get so drowned in the discouragement or depressions of things that the world will cause you to lose sight of the Lord. And, and you find yourself uh, you know, frailing about uh, just trying to grasp hold of truth. The truth is right before us. And the word is filled with that truth. It is hope and joy. And, and, and it just gives us such a great image. Of, this is revealed truth. And it's not a mystery here. He's giving us the revelation so that we would know that no matter what adversity we're going through, we know Jesus Christ has outlined for us a plan that cannot be thwarted. And you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, are a part of his great plan. And he loves you and will not abandon you. We love you, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. If you'd love to just go and listen to the prior programs, please do. Maybe you want to go deeper in God's Word with other believers at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. We'd love to see you there. Our website is calvaryfountain.com. God bless you. Take care. <laughs>